0: names are so important my full name translates as the pure one who is born again and behaves like god should adore her help me to build my house a refuge in the enlightened city there is so much power in naming when you name something it exists or at least it has the potential to exist Either way, without the act of naming, how can you begin to know something, anything? How can you begin to know its power? This is Dr. Catherine Bancoli-Medina with The Invention of Racism. The goal of this podcast series is to share the subtle and not so subtle nuances of racism from the past into the 21st century. Understanding and speaking the truth about racism is the first step toward combating and ultimately eliminating it. In this bonus episode, we present some notes on recognizing racism, naming, misnaming, and the power of identity. So what do the following narratives have in common? First, the visibility of black women in old London, second, Kunta spirit of freedom, and third, in this election period, modern politics and the practices of misnaming. In this podcast, these three illustrations show how naming is the building block for constructing social realities and a very important element of structural racism. I also conclude with a few comments about the cable series, Lovecraft Country. On the visibility of black women in old London, Xi Yin Zhao has produced a fascinating research report on black women, black and Asian women in the city of London encompassing the period from approximately 1600 to 1860. In this work, Sal provides a glimpse into some of the primary sources which reveal the lives of Black and Asian women in London for more than two and a half centuries. Note that in the report Asian refers specifically to East Indian women largely from the colonized British provinces. The report uncovers Black and Asian women using vital records and other materials such as baptismal, burial, marriage, and slaveholder documents, as well as criminal records, advertisements for servant labor, and requests to capture runaway slaves. These records are part of BAME Histories, BAME, B-A-M-E. It is the British acronym for Black, Asian, and Minority Ethnic Groups that is, anyone who is not white. For comparison's sake, black and all other people of color in the U.S. are, like BAME in the U.K., inaccurately and warily regarded collectively as minorities. People of African descent all over the world, especially those subjected to colonialism and systems of slavery, like so-called BAME women have had their histories marginalized or ignored. In the appendix of the report, Sal documents 160 black and Asian women who lived and worked in the city of London. The main obstacle to the study of the history of black and Asian women in old London surrounds the issue of naming And understanding who these women were. English sources indicate that these women were enslaved Africans, indentured servants, domestic workers, and prostitutes. Sal's research and the primary source documents show that the full names of these women were always listed as English for and surnames. The names reflecting their national origin were omitted. More than one entry lists no name, black women, showing the same routine assignment of namelessness as experienced by enslaved African women in the US. And it is more than likely that black women in London had their original names incorrectly recorded. We see the refusal to use African names and the substitution of African names for the convenience of European-sounding names. For example, Benta, which correlates with the West African Ghanaian Akan girl's name, Abena, meaning born on a Tuesday, might have been replaced with the anglicized Betty. Enslaved African women were forced to change their names, and in the early British histories, black people were, as a group, referred to as Blackamores or Black Moors, and sometimes given this as a last name instead of the surname of a white male. Remember, Blackamoor was meant to derisively describe people of African descent, Berbers, any dark-skinned people, Arabs, and Muslims. The term also references the Moorish conquest of Spain in the eighth century. Now, if you want to learn more about the term Blackamoor, Moor, and the history of the Moors in Spain, I strongly suggest that you begin with Ivan Van Sertima's edited volume, Golden Age of the Moor. Zhao suggests that black women in old London were probably baptized against their will and then underwent a forced name change to consecrate the baptism. The records are inconsistent in providing the first and last names of these women, of course, but however, they were meticulous in denoting and labeling race and color. The record is clear in documenting the skin color variation of black people. In addition to blackamoor, these records refer to African women as Nigar, Velade Nigra or Very Black, Twani, Twani Moor, Negro, Black, Mulatto, sometimes listing their location of origin as Jamaica, Barbados, Ethiopia, Morocco, or generally as Native African. As evidenced in Old London, this naming and renaming effort was intended to assert power over the body and mind and to rebrand the African woman as something else, as someone other than what she was. Turning to Kunta Kente's Spirit of Freedom, I remember the airing of the television miniseries Roots in 1977 on the ABC network. It was the first landmark drama about the kidnapping, middle passage, and the institution of slavery in the United States. This was early post-civil rights movement and Jimmy Carter, a southerner, was the new president of the United States. If you weren't there, then you've heard stories and some some of the context, a bit of the context, right? Um, I remember televisions had small screens. They were housed in big boxes and they were heavier. Televisions had CRTs or cathode ray tubes. So there was no such thing as a flat screen. Some TVs were encased in crafted wood consoles substantial pieces of furniture. And in 1977, there were 233 million people in the US. Now I can tell you, families, communities, nearly everyone, an estimated 130 million people gathered around these television sets to watch and experience Roots. And if you recall, the author of the heroic miniseries, Roots, Alex Haley, was central in assisting Malcolm X in writing the autobiography of Malcolm X, published in 1964. Haley wrote Roots years later, and it became a New York Times bestseller for nearly a year. As historical fiction, Roots traced the Haley family lineage from Africa, an achievement that most people believed impossible for African-Americans. Though popular, the work was controversial. It was perceived as a factually true story based on Haley's family and claims of plagiarism emerged. Roots was fact and historical fiction. The book and the miniseries were also controversial because many people in this country didn't want to see black life treated as epic and historical. However, none of the disputes, real or imagined, stopped the popularity of or the passion for Roots. It became one of the most popular miniseries and produced branded spin-offs. Roots had a profound impact on the psyche of black people. I remember watching the miniseries with my family, a truly intergenerational experience. It was the first time we saw in the television media at least at least a small part of our ancestral history and a glimpse at the ordeal enslaved African people in the U.S. endured. It, it was the first time, even with all of its flaws, that our history was given primacy in the popular culture Then there was the array of gifted black actors undertaking the the serious subjects being presented in Roots. And this was at a time when many black actors were relegated to subservient and degrading roles or in black exploitation films. Most of all, in Roots, we understood the ancestral African homeland of African-Americans as central and essential, foundational to our story. Racists wanted us to believe that our history began with American bondage, that we didn't exist except inside of the prism of white dominance. We rejected all of this. We knew that black history didn't begin and can never start with the institution of American slavery. African history is large, vast, and too important for that reduction. One of the most powerful scenes in Roots, led by then young actor LeVar Burton, was the enslaved African Kunta Kinte, being brutally beaten in the effort to get him to accept a slave name. We see the reprise of the miniseries and this scene in the 2016 version of Roots performed by Malachi Kirby. In Roots, The white plantation owner demands that Kunta say his slave name, Toby. Every time he says his true name, Kunta the name his parents gave him, a name brought down through Mandinka Gambian ancestry and filled with history and meaning, he is violently whipped. Forcing the slave owner's name upon enslaved African people was essential to the slave system. It was the ultimate expression of racist power on the part of whites signifying, I own you, I can name you. There were all kinds of demands for certain acts of submission, like renaming, because it was an indication that one, as a human being, had been broken. Upon hearing the name Toby from a brutalized Kunta Kente, the plantation owner says, that's a good nigger. However, Kuntakinte has made repeated defiant attempts to be free. This is the core of his being. After his fourth escape attempt, Kuntakinte's foot is nearly cut off, mutilated, in the effort to prevent him from running away. However, he is a maroon at heart, and he kept his original name. The process of naming was and is ultimately about freedom. There was no question that the body could be bound and beaten, but the goal was to break the mind, the mental attachment to freedom. Racist slave owners knew they couldn't enslave African people without the psychological component. The art and craft of slave making was a reminder that you were regarded as chattel property not an African with a language, culture, and a usable past. Kinte remembers and holds on to who he is and passes this on to his daughter so that she in turn will give it to future generations. He names his daughter Kizi, a word from his Mandinka nation, meaning you stay put, an affirmation, a prayer, and a plea for familial safety and freedom for his daughter. This was another way to resist enslavement. And more than the book and the miniseries, the roots phenomena symbolize the power of black people to name themselves and claim the power inherent in this form of autonomy. From the black women of old London to the epic story of Kunta How does the modern politics and practices of misnaming unfold today? Well, politics is regarded as a brutal sport, but in recent years, it has devolved into one singular bestial strategy, the attempt to damage and destroy the opponent's name and reputation. In the electoral process, truth or lies it does not matter to politicos. There is only scant attention paid to the issues or the analysis of the candidate's expertise, platform, and previous standards of performance. Uh, to be clear, modern politics is scatological. However, even so, it was hard to hear Kamala Harris referred to as a socialist and a monster. The hyperbole here knows no bounds. In keeping with history, one of the most important practices among racists today is to misname, rename, or disregard the names of black people and other people of color. This is especially important if the name is thought to belong to foreign immigrants or if it is ethnic sounding. Kamala Harris, who is of African American, Indian and Caribbean heritage, is a highly educated black woman. She is a US Senator and a Democratic vice presidential nominee for the most important presidential race in our lifetime in an election taking place right now. She, like representatives Maxine Waters, Ilhan Omar, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, Rashida Tlaib, Ayanna Presley, and many others are often the target of defamatory remarks from the occupant and members of the GOP. They feel empowered to make fun of or mispronounce their names, ignore their titles, dispense with civility, and mischaracterize their aims because. It is a racist form of mocking and an attempt to humiliate or own a person. It is meant to be sarcastic, to try to turn a person's name into a slur. They do this to send the message that the person is different. You know, the, the, archetyp- the archetypical white supremacist other. And they do this to show that the real difference is that they are not white. But as my mother would say, misnaming is also about respect or the lack thereof. To disrespect Senator Harris, is thought to damage her standing as an elected official and especially as a vice presidential contender. Racists also do this because it distracts the nation from the actual horror of what is happening right now with the pandemic in the U.S over 235,000 people have died from COVID-19. Since current leaders do not have the interest or the wherewithal to effectively manage this deadly pandemic, and since they have in essence given up on doing so in any meaningful way, one of the only deflection strategies left is to gaslight the nation about the coronavirus infection and mortality rates and to attack adversaries, especially people of color and black women. Attacking black women is seriously low hanging fruit for racists. The irresistible urge to denigrate black women is both racist and sexist. Those who support Senator Harris have a right to do so. And those who critically question and engage her record and her plan should do that, too. But she is not the dreaded socialist her critics would have us believe. And the majority of people almost certainly don't know what socialism is, but they have been taught to condemn it. Nor do they know that the U.S. already has various socialist programs, most of which, arguably, benefit the wealthy elite. And Senator Harris is not a monster, not based on the countless examples we have been privy to over the past four years. Senator Kamala Harris is attacked because she is a black woman who could be not just the next vice president of the United States, but the next president. Other black women have been similarly attacked using nefarious tactics and histrionic language. These women include, for example, Carlotta Bass, in, who in 1952 became the first African-American woman nominated for vice president under the Progressive Party. And, and of course, um, Shirley Chisholm, who was the first African-American woman elected to Congress and the first black female Um, major political party presidential candidate, and that was in 1972. Black women with this kind of political ambition and power are monstrously scary to racists who are still traumatized that a Black man, President Barack Obama, served for two consecutive terms. The attempt to characterize Senator Harris as someone exceptionally frightening to the American public just backfired. People responded by giving nearly $2 million in donations to the Democratic opponent of the Georgia Republican senator who publicly mocked her name. And people on social media went on to embrace the hashtag, my name is which was a celebration of human diversity, heritage, culture, and ancestry. While it was an opportunity for Biden-Harris campaign supporters, the My Name Is campaign was an important teaching and learning moment on social media. When racists engage in the act of naming and misnaming, they are saying, I have the power to identify you, to imagine you as something other than who, or what you think you are. It is lowbrow bullying, a form of name calling. For racist, naming and the process of misnaming is the abuse of power. It is the attempt to hegemonically define who will exist in the world. But it is also about the cultural energy and the agency of recognizing our existence and activating our memory. We can challenge this racist practice by being consistently vigorous in correcting, teaching and learning and naming ourselves. We do this by standing in the light of our heritage. And we do this by understanding, revealing and resisting racist strategies and tactics. We do this by speaking our names. We know that authority never lies with those who try to name you. I remember a conversation I had before becoming a history major at Howard University. My Nigerian friend was a chemist. I was in awe of his expertise and his kindness. I told him I wanted to get a PhD and someday be a professor, much like he had done. And he was one of the few people who didn't see this as unattainable for a black woman so by the end of our talk he said it is not what people call you the only thing that matters is what you call yourself and what you answer to so this brings me to my conclusion of sorts uh to the HBO sci-fi horror series Lovecraft Country and I'm specifically referring to season 1 episode 7 the I am episode the main character Hippolyta, beautifully and authentically portrayed by Angenou Ellis, ultimately confronts herself and what it means to name yourself as she attempts to live an intellectually stimulating life far beyond racist Jim Crow prescriptions and the limited corridors she created for herself. Hippolyta is thrust into time and space and lands on a planet with a black being Serafina aka Beyonce. Serafina aka Beyonce who is also the personification of I am reminds Hippolyta that she is not in prison and she commands her to name yourself. She asks her, where do you want to be? Who do you want to be? She asks her over and over again, name it. Hippolyta ultimately discovers the power of I am This is what racists don't care to understand or concede about Black people and Black women in the United States and the world over. We have spent generations in community naming ourselves and defining ourselves as a process of kutichakulia, self-determination, and all the while facing incredible odds. We were raised with the words Of the elders ringing in our ears don't let anybody call you out your name so just in case you forgot my full name means the pure one who is born again and behaves like God should adore her help me to build my house a refuge in the enlightened city Thank you for listening to this podcast. Support for independent podcasts like The Invention of Racism is so critical at this moment. In the national and global effort to dismantle racism and to establish human equality, we need as many thoughtful and courageous voices as possible. If you believe in and appreciate this anti racism podcast, continue to download, like, share, and support us. And I also encourage you to use your media platform to honestly analyze, examine, and put an end to racism. And if you are listening to this podcast series, then you know, discourse on racism is not for the faint of heart. I hope you will continue to join me as I present key topics in the invention of racism.